Sound of Football with your host, Colin Summer, brought to you by WHIP. Welcome back to another episode of Down to Football. Hope you guys are all doing well. It's going to be a great episode. I got a guest on here today, my good friend Chris Sturdine. If you want to introduce yourself. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris Strenheim. Uh I'm from Lumberton, New Jersey. I currently go to the University of Louisville in Kentucky, and I'm studying accounting with a minor in management. Uh, and most importantly, my favorite football team is the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings. <clears throat> Got a little bit of uh, tension here because I'm a Saints fan. I'm just playing. Vikings have uh, dominated the Saints in the postseason in recent memory. Definitely hurts my heart a little bit, but I'm sure it makes you happy. But, uh, of course. I'm really excited to have this episode uh, from now on. Every two weeks, I'll be recording. I'll hopefully bring on a new guest each time. I'm trying to get a fan perspective around the NFL. Like this week, I'm going to have a Vikings fan on here. Hopefully, I can get a bunch of different teams. It'll be really cool. But we'll get to the Vikings a little bit later. We got some other segments we should go and get into. So let's get started. All right, so just some basic news that we could discuss. So Carson Wentz traded to the Colts in exchange for a 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 sec- conditional second-round pick. Now, this pick could turn into a first-round pick if Wentz either plays 75% of the season or 70% of the season and the Colts make the playoffs. What are your thoughts on this? I, From the jump, I, I really thought the whole Wentz situation was um, a bit of an overreaction. Um, I think what it boiled down to this offseason – is ultimately having to trade him and not really getting, I think, a decent package, um, but not as good as I think it could have been. Uh, however, they kind of put themselves in a bad situation by how they handled the situation throughout the year. Um, I understand that Carson Wentz wasn't playing well. I understand he turned the ball over. I understand he's getting sacked a lot. Um, however, I still think he is a talented quarterback. Um, sure, he had a, a poor year. Uh, sure, he got benched. But the way they handled the situation in terms of bringing in Hurts overall, even going as far as bringing Sudfeld in to get reps towards the tail end of the season. Um, to me, that just, I thought it was poorly handled. Um, the relationship between Peterson and the rest of the front office with Howie Roseman and relation to Carson Wentz was just, like I said, quite poor. And I think they ended up having their hands tied behind their back by how they treated Wentz and ended up having a deal in the way, which, like I said, not a bad package, um, but I, I didn't think it was the right move personally. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there was numerous factors that was the reason why Wentz was pushed out of town. I think that the fans turned their back on him way too quickly. I think that a lot of these fans don't truly understand what Carson Wentz had to deal with when Jalen Ray Gore was drafted, when they could have had somebody like Justin Jefferson. And I know I have a couple of friends. We have a couple of friends that are Eagles fans. And I'm sure you love Justin Jefferson, but we have Eagles fans that would have loved to have had Justin Jefferson, but they went with a guy from TCU instead. And I just thought it was a little unfathomable that they chose a guy from TCU instead of a guy who performed in the biggest college football platform that there is. I think it was a little bit ridiculous. I think that, you know, like you said, you know, the O-line, the O-line was awful. And you wonder why Hertz was maybe, and I don't think Hertz even did that much better. I think that the only reason Hertz might have, been a slight improvement over Wentz was just because of his mobility. He was able to right, save the right, pocket right. Exactly. you know, a little bit better. But when you have 
what, Kelsey is their only starting lineman out of everyone on there? Because Lane Johnson was hurt pretty much the entire season, and when he did play, he was obviously limited. What else can you really expect Carson Wentz to do when he doesn't have time to throw the ball? You look back at 2017. You know, he's got Brandon Brooks. He's got a healthy Jason Kelsey. Jason Peters wasn't great, but at least he was he was all right. Like, he was still yeah. all right for his time. Lane Johnson was healthy. And, you know, that season didn't go – you know, end the well, it ended the way that the Eagles wanted it to because they won the Super Bowl, but maybe not for Carson Wentz because obviously he tore his ACL. But he was on an MVP candidate season prior to that moment. And I don't think that suddenly just escapes from a player. I, I don't think that's people could easily say, you know what, that was his peak year. And yeah, it very well could be. But at the same time, that could just be a fraction of what his potential is when he's given the right tools. Correct. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from Jalen Hurts. Um, the the Jalen Rager situation and the fact that they drafted him over a guy like Justin Jefferson, by all means, you know, I'm willing to give any player a chance. You know, there's only, only so much you can read from scouting reports until they get on the field. And sure, he was banged up. I understand that. Um, however, like you said, the offensive line situation, I mean, I, I remember reading a statistic or hearing about it that the, the different combination, they never had the same combination on the offensive line throughout the year. Like none of the starters ever played together. Something along those lines. Point being is you're not going to be successful in any sort of situation like that. And to your point of the only reason, I mean, I don't want to say the only reason, but a prime reason why Hertz was successful was mainly due to his mobility. And that's nothing to take away from Wentz um, and nothing to take away from Hertz. I mean, he just was more mobile. But the bottom line is, is that that O-line is a shambles. And we saw... And I know we're going to talk about it all the time. We saw what happened in the Super Bowl when you don't have a great O-line. When your O-line is unhealthy and you're banged up and starting backups, I mean, you got the best quarterback in the NFL looking like a maniac in the, in the pocket. I mean, granted, he was able to th- get some throws off, but it's, it's clear how important a good O-line really is. Oh, for sure. And this is why I like the move for Indianapolis. And I saw, like, former punter Pat McAfee, he wanted Stafford the whole way. And he didn't want Wentz. He showed absolutely no signs of wanting Wentz. Frankly, I actually saw a lot of his posts saying that he actually truly did not want Wentz. And I think that that that's just unreasonable just because you're basing it off of this past season. Yes, he has an injury history. But look at the tools that he's had in 2020 to the tools he's going to have in 2021. He has a committed power run game. Miles Sanders is a very good running back. But for whatever reason, Doug Peterson would not commit to the run game. And I thought it was absolutely stupid. But you have, and we'll get to this because I, I really want to talk. We'll talk about Jonathan Taylor later. But when Jonathan Taylor's given the ball, he's an extremely dynamic player. So when you have a, a guy that you have to focus on, like Jonathan Taylor on the defense, that puts so much less weight on Wentz's shoulders. There's so much less pressure on him. There's some promising young receivers I know Zach Pascal. he's not like some super extraordinary talent, but he's all right. Michael Pittman's very young. He flashed potential last year. T.Y. Hilton started off very, very slowly last year, but towards the end of the season, he started, you know, showing signs of improvement. And even if T.Y. Hilton's last year is next year, at least that gives Wentz an extra option. And you don't know what the Colts might do during the draft. They could go ahead and get a wide receiver late. They have a later pick for – yeah, they still have their first round pick. So if they go get someone maybe like Rondell Moore, you know, you have a big deep threat like like Michael Pittman is, and then you get a speed guy. Like it could just really work out for Wentz. And on top of that, the defense, 
that's less time on the or that's more time for Wentz to you know prove that he's still productive. So I just think that of all the scenarios where Wentz could have gone, if he went to the Bears, train wreck. If he went to the Broncos, train wreck. And I say those two things because Nat, Matt Nagy with quarterbacks, not good. John Elway with quarterbacks, not good. It's just there's yeah. a big trend. I don't think Sam Fran would have made sense. You know, I would have personally loved to have him on the Saints, but unfortunately we don't have the cap space for that because we have the worst cap space yeah, in the entire yeah, yeah. NFL. But I think the Colts – I think they made a great move. I don't think they overpaid. I think that they actually, I think in the end, it might, it well, it depends because if it turns into a first round pick, if it turns into a first round pick, I think it's the right price. But if it doesn't turn into a first round pick, then they might not like it because that means Wentz probably got hurt. But sure. then again, it would be underpaying. But I think sure. overall, it's going to work out for both sides. I think that the Eagles relationship with Wentz, it was way too fractured. I think I don't know how Howie Roseman is still the GM of the Eagles. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but overall, I think I think it'll work out well for both sides. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, my only um, my, my only two things I'll add to that is with the Colts situation being better. I mean, they have Frank Reich, and he was the guy totally uh, for Wentz in his MVP season. Um, I mean, that that itself pays half the price. Uh, not to mention about the Howie Roseman thing. I mean, they, the Eagles, when it comes to drafting talent, the Eagles are piss poor at drafting talent. Uh, There's just no other way around it. And so it's a bit worrisome, you know, knowing that they they traded for picks rather than players. I understand trading players in the NFL is not as common, like a player to player deal. Um, It's always picks. But when you have a GM who struggles with drafting, it's not too promising. But I also, to to your point, I, I do think that, if that pick turns into a first, and again, if Hurts develops well, uh, which I definitely could see him doing, um, it, it could work out for both sides. For sure, for sure. All right, moving on. The only other note that I have, and this isn't really a discussable topic, but Vincent Jackson, a former NFL wide receiver for the Chargers and the Bucks, was unfortunately found dead at age 38. The cause of death, I believe, is still unknown. Prior to this, he was reported missing for about a week. He was found a couple of days later. And then a couple of days after that, he was found dead in a hotel room. It's a very, very sad story. His family has gone ahead and donated his brain to CTE research, which I think is a very good move. It's just very sad. I know a lot of people were a fan of him. He was around for a good chunk of years. He was pretty productive in his prime a good talent overall and uh just very very sad so rest in peace to him yeah absolutely i mean rest in peace um to vincent jackson you know what one thing i think about whenever i see a professional athlete um you know pass away especially at a young age is just the reality of you never want to take anything for granted you know pe- people look at these guys as role models a lot of people grow up you know having these professional athletes as role models it makes you think that they're like in touch, like they're in, uh, like they're invisible. You know, I, I was struggling for a word, like they're invisible. Like they can't, you know, all oh, they're, they're professional athletes. They have everything going for them, you know, but it's not like that. Everybody's human at the end of the day. And um, my big thing with that is you just don't want to take anything for granted because you never know what's going on in someone's life. For sure. For sure. Moving on to our next segment, we got free agency frenzy. Where will they go and why? Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. I have put down about 10 different free agents. 
with my personal takes on where they sign or potentially resign. I'm sure you have might have written down your own picks, but we can just jump right into it. So first off, I think personally for me, this is a very obvious thing. I think of all the athletes this year that are football players that might get franchise tagged, I think at the top of the list is Dak Prescott. Now, I'm sure he's looking for a very, very large contract. We don't know if Jerry Jones is going to go in that direction, but I think that it's very likely that a franchise tag is put on him. Thoughts? Chris? Sorry about that. So I agree. Um, I 100% agree. I think Dak Prescott will get the franchise tag. Um, I think at the end of the day, he wants to stay in Dallas. Um, obviously, as anyone will want to, you want to work out a long-term deal. But uh, at the end of the day, he signs that for – if they give him that franchise tag, he signs it. I think it was – he'll get 69 mil Ramos in the course of two years just from franchise tags. Um, so ideally, of course, he wants a long-term deal. But I definitely think he'll get the franchise tag for sure. For sure. I don't think there's much discussion there. Definitely wants to stay with the Cowboys. Chris Godwin. Again, I think of all the athletes that might get franchise tagged. I think at the top of the list as well is Chris Godwin. I think he gets franchise tagged by the Bucks. Now, my only concern here is that there are other people that the Bucks might need to resign. They still have Levante mm-hmm. David. They still have Shaq Barrett. Now, I don't know if Lamonte David or Shaq Barrett would both be subject to franchise tags because one, I believe that Shaq Barrett has been franchise tagged before and Lamonte David's been with the Bucks for a long time. So I definitely see, you know, a probably a decent size contract extension, not too big. He'll, he's a veteran. He'll probably take a little bit of a pay cut to keep the team together. Shaq Barrett definitely could see him getting franchise tagged, but I also could see him getting a very, very large extension so that's why I have Chris Godwin as my franchise tag. Yeah, again, um, I'm right there with you with Chris Godwin getting the franchise tag. And, and my main thought process there is, like you said, you got Levante David, uh, Shaq Barrett, both key guys on that defense uh, that obviously showed out in the playoffs and was a big proponent for them getting as far as they did, of course. Um, but Shaq Barrett especially made it known um, that he wants to be back in within Tampa Bay, even if that comes with a pay cut. And so for me, by saying that, I mean, I kind of heard his, I kind of heard his stock a little bit, but at the same time, it's clear that he just wants to be back. So Levante David, I think is definitely a, um, a big question mark for the franchise tag, but uh, I, I think they value Chris Godwin a little bit more. I'm sure they might like the development of um, Tyler Johnson, but I still think they're going to stick with Chris Godwin for the franchise tag. For sure. Allen Robinson. So for this one, this one's a little bit of a two-way street for me. I think that Allen Robinson goes to the Jets under the circumstance that Deshaun Watson gets traded there. I want to hear your thoughts on that before I say my other team. um, You know, my reasoning for where I have Allen Robinson going, again, is very much dependent on these QB trades um, because you have guys, you have franchise-changing guys that very well could be going all across all across the league, right? Um, so in particular about the Jets, you know, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I think Deshaun Watson, um, his two landing spots are probably the likes of Miami and New York, um, obviously referring to the Jets. And so I think if, if he does go to the Jets, yeah, I think Allen Robinson absolutely um, very well could be on his way there. Um, now for me, when it came down to Allen Robinson, I, I – you know, I, I honestly went with the Bears. And, and again, I said because of the, the, the situation of QB trades, um, 
obviously he doesn't want to be there if Mitch Trubisky's throwing him the ball, right? Now, there have been rumors of um, Derek Carr going to Chicago, which I thought was crazy, but hey, rumors are rumors. I've heard Jimmy Garoppolo, his name was thrown in there. And to me, those are two guys that, sure, Matt Nagy might not be the best with quarterbacks, um, but, you know, he's had Trubisky and he clearly didn't really like Trubisky. So maybe if they did bring in a new quarterback, that could entice Al Robinson to stay. However, at the same time, they have a terrible, terrible, terrible cap space situation. Um, but I know that they, they really want Al Robinson to stay. He's a clear number one, no matter what team he goes to. Um, and so for now, I, I'm saying he could be with the Bears, but I really am not too sure. It all depends on these trades. So I very well could see him with the Jets. Yeah, I definitely could see him on the Bears. I know he has made it clear that he would like to stay with the Bears, but I also read a report today that uh, since he, since I can't remember the specific date, but the Bears actually haven't contacted him. Um, it's been quite some time since they've had contact oh, wow. with each other. So that's part of the reason why I leaned away from the Bears, even though, sure, he, sure. like I said, he's made it clear that he wants to stay there. But my other team that I chose for Allen Robinson, if he does not get traded to or if Deshaun Watson does not get traded to the Jets, I have him going to Miami. Now, I do have mixed emotions about Miami. I know Miami is a favorite for a landing spot for Allen Robinson, but I look at their other receivers, and I see Devontae Parker and Allen Robinson as two very similar prototypical wide receivers. Big body, can run decent routes, but they can also go up and get the ball, obviously. So I don't really know if Allen Robinson is a big fit there. I don't really know what Devontae Parker's contract situation is like. I don't believe he's a free agent this year. I believe he's – I think he's still under contract. But I like Allen Robinson in Miami only because as much as I, I do like Devontae Parker, but he has had problems developing. He did have good flashes this past season, and but particularly the season before. But – I don't really think him and Tua have that great connection. Now, I'm not entirely sold on Tua. That's just me. There's plenty of time for him to, to develop, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to do a good job with helping him out. Um, but I just – I don't know. I think that Allen Robinson and Devontae Parker side-by-side side just doesn't make too, too much sense. But then again, you're, you're giving a very young – by bringing in Allen Robinson, you're giving a quarterback – a very young quarterback – a solidified number one who has proven to have great hands, who has proven to be productive no matter who his quarterback is. He's put up a thousand yard seasons with Mitch Trubisky and that. Sorry, Mitch, but that says a lot. So I don't think it would really be a bad idea. Now, I think that I'm not really going to talk about Deshaun Watson too much, but I know that Panthers are clearing a lot of cap space to make a really good push for him. So we'll see what happens with that. So that could potentially be another landing spot for Allen Robinson because they don't really have a get up there and get it kind of receiver they have dj moore who's a very good route runner great after you know with yards after contact so on robinson might be a decent fit there but i know the panthers have a lot of defensive needs so i think Allen robinson's i don't think his future is necessarily up in the air i just think where he's gonna land is very up in the air yeah i, I couldn't agree more kenny galladay I have this very plain and simple. I think Kenny Galladay does no. I don't think he no longer wants to be in Detroit solely because Matt Stafford is not there. And now he has to deal with Jared Goff, nothing against Jared Goff, but I've made it clear on this podcast and I'm not a big fan of Jared Goff. I think the best suitable environment for Kenny Galladay would be the New York Giants. And I say this because again, similar to the Panthers situation, they have Darius Slayton, 
the Giants do, of course, who's a very decent route runner, but he's more of a deep ball threat. You have Sterling Shepard, who usually runs those shallow crossing routes, and they still need that go up and get it guy, which makes perfect sense for Kenny Galladay to go there. And it's again, it's very similar to Allen Robinson to Miami. You're going to give Daniel Jones a very young quarterback who has, you know, as much as he's shown disappointment, he has also shown potential in, in specific games. And I think that, you know, if that O-line gets a little beefed up through the draft or through free agency, we'll see what happens. And you give Daniel Jones uh, uh, Kenny Galladay, I think that just creates a perfect scenario. And then you just look at that offense as a whole. Defense, or not defense, offensive line is solid. Darius Lane, your deep route runner. Sterling Shepard can carry. Sterling Shepard, and um, I hate Evan Ingram, but, you know, he's all right, I guess. He did make the Pro Bowl. (laughs) I won't talk about that, though. But I just think it makes sense. With Saquon Barkley coming back next year, I think that offense could be a full throttle. And last year, the Giants showed that they have a decent defense. Their defense was not all that bad last year. So I think that would be the best scenario for Kenny Galladay. But what about what about you? Yeah, I, I actually really like the point you made. I mean, Kenny Galladay is the kind of guy who um, you plug him into an offense like the Giants offense, and you're going to see a drastic improvement. And, and that's something that the Giants desperately need. Uh, so I'm right there with you. I took a similar approach in which um, I went with, you know, I don't really think he's going to go with, back with the Lions. Um, however, I think, with this, the fact that Kenny Galladay is not under contract. Marvin Jones is not under contract. Jay Amendola not under contract. They have the chance to pay him a max contract to bring him in as the sole number one. Now, obviously, he was the number one already, but they need a wide receiver in Detroit. So they very well could give him that max deal. Now, whether or not he signs that, I honestly don't think he will. Um, but I think that would be like a sec- second option. My number one for him, however, is the Jacksonville Jaguars. A- and my, my thought process behind that was – I like DJ Shark. I, I think he's I think he's a good receiver. However, I think if you move him to the number two wide receiver, and if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're obviously bringing in Trevor Lawrence, right? You want to surround him with all the piece, pieces necessary. You have the chance to go out and get a clear shot number one wide receiver in his borderline right in his prime. Uh, for me, it just seems like a, a perfect fit uh, for Galladay is that he goes, goes down south to Jacksonville, which I think he – no, sorry, he's from Illinois. But point being is he goes down south to a team in Jacksonville who is going to want weapons to surround Trevor Lawrence to have his development to be as as best as it really could be. And so for me, that was really my thought process was you have a guy that you have the money and you have a chance to go out there and get a guy in Kenny Galladay. Um, I think it's a it's a sure it's a great fit for him. And I understand the Jaguars offense. They have Chenault Jr. I'm a huge Chenault Jr., like Felicia Chenault Jr. fan. But they run him at running back to, uh, sometimes. So they could, you know, it's not like they would really miss a beat at wide receiver. Um, so for me, especially with them losing Tyler Eifert, there's going to be some targets to pass around. Um, I think Galladay would make a lot of sense for Jacksonville. For sure, for sure. I definitely like that pick. I didn't really think about that too much, but it's a perfect scenario, especially for Trevor Lawrence. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Trent Williams, left tackle for the 49ers current or was the 49ers left tackle was with the Washington football team for quite some time. But obviously there was some tension there and eventually he got traded whole situation with the doctors won't get deep into that. I think for me, I don't really I see I could see other teams pushing for him, but I think that he'll just stay with the 49ers. I think that they've treated him very well since he's been brought over there. 
I believe the 49ers could give him a nice size contract. No, I'm not really sure. I might want to check something real quick. Give me one sec. He's 32 years old, so I don't really know what his contract, when an extension, not an extension, but what his contract would be like. I could imagine something anywhere between three to four years. Not sure on the pricing, but I think the 49ers, like I said, have treated him very well. So I think him staying there would be a very logical answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I absolutely think he stays there. Again, 49ers are a team that could very well be in the market of um, the quarterback carousel and bring in a new guy. And nothing's more enticing to bring in a new quarterback than making sure you bolster your offensive line or at least maintain some of the, some of the key parts to your offensive line. Uh, because although Trent Williams might not be the same guy he once was, um, he's still a very, very solid tackle at a position that in the NFL currently is very weak. For sure. For sure. Next, we got Anthony Harris, and we know that, or at least I know that you know a lot about Anthony Harris. So, you know what? I'm going to let you start with this one. You know, I think as biased as it could be, I think he stays with the Vikings. And my my, my whole reasoning behind it was this past year, he wasn't nearly as good as he was in 2019. And how he was in 2019 was going to be quite hard to, to be even match, right? And I think to an extent, that might have hurt his market a little bit. Um, and they decided, the Vikings decided last year to franchise tag him, had him this year. And I, I think what it's going to come down to, and we'll touch base on this um, later, is that they're going to have to decide between the likes of Anthony Harris or Eric Wilson. And I like both of them. I like both of them a lot. Uh, Eric Wilson stepped in big time um, when called upon due to injuries. However, they have no one behind Anthony Harris at safety. Obviously, they have um, Harrison Smith, but that one-two combo, I think it's something that the Vikings are going to be very, very enticing um, to keep. And with a young secondary like they already have at corner, I think it's going to be very, very hard to let Anthony Harris go. For sure. I definitely could see that happening, especially after you gave me your thoughts. You know, you're a Vikings fan. You know a lot about the Vikings, obviously. But I do think that Anthony Harris, depending on what the Vikings offer him, I think that Anthony Harris might be seeking a lot of money. Now the Vikings could very well offer that, but I think that a nice young defense that has a lot of potential that might want to go after him is the Washington football team. I personally think the Washington football team can make strides. Now their offense is still not that great. Obviously I do like Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin a lot. Logan Thomas showed out towards the end of the season, but I think if you bring Anthony Harrison, and I'm not sure who their current free safety is. I don't think that obviously I would probably know if he, if he was a good big name guy, but I think if you plug and play Anthony Harris on a defense like that, I think it brings that defense full circle. You know, they have an entire defensive line that was former first round picks, I believe. So that's definitely very daunting, especially led by Chase Young, who was defensive rookie of the year, obviously. But, you know, I think they still have some weak spots at linebacker. But I think a secondary move would probably be a good idea. I think they could look at the draft for other defensive pieces, maybe a good linebacker. I don't know how deep the linebacker prospect is in this upcoming draft. But I think that free safety, if they got the capital, I think it's not a bad place to start. Now, I do see other free safeties maybe for a little bit cheaper going there. I could see like Marcus, unfortunately, because I really like Marcus Williams. But I think I could see Marcus Williams going there as well. But I, I definitely, 
now that you've talked about him, you know, staying with the Vikings and exactly why, I definitely can see that. But the football team, I think, could also be a suitable team. I um, I think that that's a great point as well, is that you look at a team like Washington, and I definitely think, um, at the very least, Anthony Harris will test the open market, um, whether, you know, whether or not he's going to field the other offers. Um, well, he will field the other offers. Whether or not he'll really look into those offers is obviously up for debate. Um, but I definitely could see if he does leave the Vikings to the Washington football team. For sure. Moving on, we got Will Fuller. Now, I'm going to let you start with this one again. I have my thoughts, but I'll let you. I'll let you take the floor here. So, um, Will Fuller, I think this is the time, and I, I think you're going to have a similar thought process here. This is the time to bring in wide receivers in Green Bay. They, it's, we saw it in the, in the postseason, right? They're going to have to go after number one. I mean, they they could seek it in the draft, or not a number one, pardon me, a number two. They, they could seek that in the draft, but when you have a wide receiver class like you have this offseason, the options are there. I mean, we've already gone through three guys in the likes of Godwin, Robinson, Galladay, who all could very well hit the open market, you know. But you have to, I don't know, you just have to at some point address the situation at hand, and that is that the the Packers just have minimal options at wide receiver. I mean, year in, year out, they're, they're having these guys that are third, fourth, fifth round picks, maybe even undrafted guys who Aaron Rodgers makes look even half decent. I just imagine getting a guy, maybe not to the same degree as Devontae Adams, but a number one from another team. And I think Will Fuller would fit that role very, very nicely. Um, I think he's an incredible route runner. He, you know, granted he uh, was suspended halfway through the season, but what he showed prior and maybe that was part of the reason he was suspended, right? He looked great. And I think he would be, unfortunately, as a Vikings fan, he would probably be a great fit uh, for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, for sure. You have Devontae Adams who would line up across him. We all know that Devontae Adams is one of the most pristine route runners in the entire NFL. I think if you put a very speedy part, because Will Fuller is very, very fast, and that's kind of what he's known for, but obviously he's a very good route runner as well. When he's healthy, He's so effective. And like you said, Aaron Rodgers can only make third string, fourth string, seventh round receivers look so good for so long, like Alan Lazard and Martez Valdez-Scanling. And I have nothing against them, but that Packers offense, as well as it did this past season, can only go so far in the playoffs when you start hitting really good defenses. And at that point, Devontae Adams is obviously going to be locked into by numerous defenders it's just a very obvious thing and you know their run game is good I do like Aaron Jones and I do like Jamal Williams but again uh, very similar to other teams where you need to bring that offense full circle it's just that one piece missing and I was very shocked when they didn't address the wide receiver position in last year's draft I didn't think they were going to address it in the first round but when they had an early pick in the second round I thought okay T Higgins is 100% going to the Green Bay Packers and next thing you know, they pass on them. So I'm just very, very confused with the Green Bay Packers, uh, I guess, front office thought process when it comes to drafting. You know, I, I think they saw Jordan Love as a potential Brett Favre situation, but that's such a stretch in my opinion. But overall, I think that Will Fuller going to the Packers is 100% the best fit as much as I like Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, and uh, – Chris Godwin, I just none of them really make sense for because they're all number one receivers. 
And I'm not saying that Wolf Fuller can't be a number one receiver, but he's more – I think I could see him being a better complementary receiver to Devontae Adams than the other three receivers that we've mentioned. So, yes, I'm totally there with you. 100% Packers makes the most sense. It's just a matter of whether the Packers can't refuse to ignore that position anymore. And I guess we'll see that. So, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corvette, Corvette. Um, I'll let you take the wheel with this one, too. I don't have too many thoughts on Juju. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Juju, big, big Juju, Juju fan. Um, I love him with the Steelers. Um, however, I think he's a very, very – he's in a very, very weird situation because he was the number two with Antonio Brown being around, and he flourished, right? When he became a number one, it seemed like he was kind of not the same guy, like kind of distant. Um, and I think what the Steelers situation is, they have young guys. Sure, they had a whole lot of drops this past uh, past season, but they have a lot of young wide receivers that they want to build around. And their cap situation isn't the greatest. Um, there are plenty of needs that they have. I don't think wide receiver is one of them. Uh, so for that reason, I don't think he will re-sign uh, with the Steelers. Now that poses the question on where he goes. And I was really, really, really torn with this one because, again, like I said, he has the potential to be a number one, but when he's been a number one, he hasn't really shown a lot of promise. However, I look at – it's crazy. I look at Juju as a great fit for the Jets, and it's, it's a weird one. But I honestly think that the Jets will – and this, this, is a, this is a crazy prediction. I think that the Jets could end up with Justin Fields. And I think with Justin Fields, I think Juju's the kind of guy that they're going to really, really like. Um, and he's a guy that he will really, really like. Because Justin Fields, I mean, again, this is part of the scouting, is that he looked great in the playoffs, don't get me wrong. Um, but Chris Olave was really, really important for him. And when I look at Juju and I compare him with Chris Olave, um, I see similar traits. Maybe not the same exact player, but I see similar traits that I picked up on just from watching them both play. Um, and for that reason, I really felt like if the Jets – end up, and again, this is, you know, with all the different QB trades potentially and, and the draft, it could be a stretch. But for me, um, if I really had a pick, I would say Juju lands with the Jets. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this one. I definitely like your reasoning. I know part of my reasoning is he kind of maybe unintentionally, intentionally, who knows, brought himself into the spotlight this past year. He's now TikTok boy, according to a lot of people, Corvette, Corvette boy, we can go on with the list of names. But I don't know, like I said, I don't know if he intentionally or, or unintentionally thrusted himself into that spotlight, but obviously the media took it that way. He was dancing on people's logos. I don't think he meant any harm. I know Juju's, from what I've heard and what from what I've read, he's, he's a very nice person. He does good things. And people have to understand that he's very young as well. He came into this league when he was either 19. I'm pretty sure he was 19 when he first got into the league or 20. So you kind of, you, you got you to gotta give him some, you know, some room to work with he's still growing he's still in the growing up phase he you know it it's not easy for someone that young to adjust to what nfl players are like and when you think of nfl players oh they're big they're muscular they're hard like they're tough and you have a guy who's out there dancing but that just has to do with his generation of you know social media and everything that that generation entails so i think that, uh, of all places in terms of spotlight, now that he's been put in the spotlight, is New York. You know, all the cameras are always on New York. I know that the Jets obviously are, 
have not been a very good franchise for plenty of years now. But Juju could very well be a little bit of a spark plug to try and get the Jets back on their feet. And I definitely agree with you. I don't think he's – I like Juju, but I don't think he's a number one. He will. I think he flourishes better when he's alongside of a number one and he's the number two. So, again, if there's a situation where, you know, a number one is brought in, whether it's through the draft or or through free agency, if they have – because I'm pretty sure the Jets are way up there in cap space. I think they have the most cap space, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But imagine them going out, trading for Deshaun Watson – grabbing Allen Robinson, and then maybe grabbing Juju for cheap. That could be a very lethal offense, in my opinion. I yeah. think that that if they were to do that, they'd obviously get rid of a lot of, you know, draft picks. And that run game still needs to be addressed because that run game is very poor, as well as the offensive line. But I think that's the most suitable situation for him, regardless – of Deshaun Watson, Allen Robinson, I just think that Juju is a very good fit, especially like you said, if Justin Fields gets drafted to the Jets. I think there's a lot of things that could happen that could lure Juju to the Jets. Yeah, and one last thing with that is, you know, we we, we talk about obviously the and this is the ever growing topic of the QB trades, QB carousel throughout the league. My only thought is, sure, um, the Jets are leading the way, barring the Dolphins, of course, leading the way in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. My only concern is with the Jets situation, I think they would benefit more from drafting a, a rookie guy um, or just having a younger guy without giving up so much draft capital because of the things you mentioned. They have a poor run game. They have a poor O-line. There's just so many holes that they have right now that sure, even if they brought in the likes of Watson, Robinson, Juju, um, giving up that draft capital would get a guy like Watson, even though he's obviously a proven star, um, would just be kind of, I don't know. To me, to me, it just wouldn't make the most sense. Yeah, for sure. Now, I have two more guys in this list, but I'm going to cut it off a little bit early. The other two guys I have on this list are Jadavion Clowney and Richard Sherman. Um, I'm just going to be very quick with it. Jadavion Clowney, I think he re-signs with the Titans. Now, the Saints were pushing him last season. I'm really glad they didn't get him. I think that, for me, I think that Jadavion Clowney is not worth the money that he wants. I haven't. I just don't think he's as productive as people think. I think I just not, that's just my personal opinion. And for Richard Sherman, he's made it clear that he's not going to be back with the 49ers this upcoming season. And I truly think that a Seattle reunion could be very, very possible on a one-year contract. And then he retires. He's doing a lot of other things with, with his life, but he's on podcasts now. He does radio talk shows. So I think that Richard Sherman's career is personally coming to an end, whether he's still performing at a high level. I mean, he has dealt with injuries recently, um, if you have any thoughts on those two players, you can give them to me. Yeah, so I actually had the exact same situation. Um, I think Javon Clowney, my big thought process was, again, he's not hes not what a lot of people think he is. And I think a guy like Mike Ribble want to lock up his D-line. I think the Titans are very, very close to making a big playoff push. And so they want to keep their core as much as they can. And similarly with Richard Sherman, um, I, I immediately didn't think he'd want to be back in uh, San Francisco, especially after losing Robert Sala. Um and the Seattle reunion, again, seems like a, a, an obvious choice because of the lack of corners that Seattle has. He would shoe in right away as arguably the, probably the QB or QB, cornerback uh, one. And, and so that just made the most sense for me with those two picks. For sure, for sure. So that's going to wrap up free agency frenzy. That's a tongue twister. But moving on, I got five steaming hot takes. Let's get right into it. 
number one. Now, I, I went through NFL's Instagram, a bunch of football Instagrams to see what kind of thought processes were going on there, what kind of hot takes were being posted. So I did get these from social media, and I love it because people put some ridiculous things sometimes, but sometimes they're very arguably true. So the first one, and we've been talking about a lot, a, a lot on this show so far, Deshaun Watson is overrated. You start. So I, you know, similarly with how I feel about the Vikings, I grew up as a, a big Clemson fan. Obviously, I ended up going to the University of Louisville, but I grew up as a big Clemson fan watching the likes of Taj Boyd, Sammy Watkins, Jadron Hopkins, and same thing with Deshaun Watson. So I, I love Deshaun Watson. Um, I understand the, the thought process, honestly, of you could say he's overrated. Um, but this past year, with the lack of weapons he had, um, Will Fuller obviously was great for half the season prior or a little more than half the season prior to being suspended. But I thought what he did this year, given the situation he had, um, the adversity he faced throughout the year, I thought to this year was like that prove it year. Like, is he really overrated or is he a true star? And for me, um, I still feel like he's a true star and that he's not overrated. Absolutely. I 100% agree. You look at the first couple of years that Deshaun Watson had in the NFL and they were very, very good. Definitely. Uh, you know, top 10 quarterback worthy, even top five quarterback worthy, you know, you had Deshaun or not Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins for quite some time. But the one key factor that I think kept him from bursting out of his bubble. And I think if you give him this one factor, he will 100% win MVP very, very soon is a good offensive line. I couldn't even tell you how many years that Houston has dealt with an awful offensive line. Deshaun Watson has been one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the last since he was drafted, basically. You give him a good offensive line, and you don't trade away someone like DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, he's going to do well. But the fact that, like you said, this was his prove year. He didn't have Hopkins, still dealt with a bad offensive line, and only had – or not defensive line, offensive line – and only had Will Fuller for half a season, yet he still performed so efficiently – and I think his season was so underlooked by all means. I think a lot of people kind of just flew over his name because of the seasons that, you know, Mahomes and Brady and, and Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers were having, obviously. But mm -hmm. I think personally for me, Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback locked in, no questions asked. That's my personal opinion. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would agree. I think to call him overrated, given the circumstances of what he's had to deal with over the past, you know, like I said, since he was drafted, there's no possible way that he's overrated. That, that's all I got for Deshaun Watson. I think that it's a very straightforward answer. Next one, Josh Allen, who had a very, very good season this year, might have won MVP had someone's name of Aaron Rodgers not been in the league, won MVP instead. I think Allen could have been up there for MVP candidate. Josh Allen has peaked. How do you feel about that? Pretty good season. I wasn't the biggest Josh Allen fan. Um, you know, I, I I felt like they obviously picked up Stephon Diggs, which I I will obviously say is an incredible wide receiver, and he he was he was above expectations the entire year, right? Um, and Josh Allen's main thing was his accuracy. We knew he had a cannon for an arm. We knew he had legs, um, but could he control his cannon of an arm? And the fact that he was um, top, at least top five, maybe he might even have the best completion percentage or arguably uh, the best was incredible. Um, to say he peaked this year, 
it's it's a tough one because barring Aaron Rodgers' incredible year this year, um, Josh Allen was right up there for MVP. Uh, Bills won the division. Obviously, we're stopped by a very, very good Chiefs team. To say he peaked, it's hard. I mean, I will, I will say um, no, because I, I honestly think another year under his belt, adjusting with um, his offense, you know, I think there's going to be some moving pieces, especially at running back. I'm not sold on their running back situation right now. Um, I think the more and more he just gets used to the league, uh, I don't think this is the best of Josh Allen yet. But I do think it's pretty, pretty close. I could see him winning MVP. Um, so for that reason, I'll say he has not peaked. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be very hard for him to win MVP as long as people like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, et cetera, like Watson are in the league. But I definitely think Josh Allen has 100% the capabilities of doing so. I think that bringing in, like you said, bringing in Stephon Diggs, and you know a lot about Stephon Diggs being a Vikings fan. You know, he's one of the, again, one of the more pristine route runners in the entire NFL. He cooked this last year. He's absolutely phenomenal. Him and Josh Allen developed a chemistry that was one of the best in the entire league. And in terms of him peaking, again, like you said, it's very, very difficult because one, if he's given a good run game, that just expands the offense as a whole. Now, I truly don't think they have a great wide receiver, too. I guess their wide receiver, too, would be either John Brown or Cole Beasley. But they have all really good middle-of-the-pack receivers who are just – they. there are certain things that they're good at, like Gabriel Davis. He'll come in and catch, like, a 50-yard touchdown every so often. You got a guy like John Brown. He'll rack up some catches. Cole Beasley had a career year this past season. You got – what's his name? Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, I think, is his name – pretty sure is his name he's like a gadget guy and he you know he does those kind of plays so I just think that there's so many different aspects of this offense that could be expanded with a better run game that would just 100% increase Josh Allen's potential now Josh Allen had an amazing year this year so that's why it's hard to question whether he's peaked or not because will he ever get those stats again yeah he definitely could but it could also be a flat line where he reaches that same point doesn't dip below, but doesn't go above and stays virtually virtually around the same area. Um, but for me, I don't think he's peaked. I definitely could see him because I think when, because I could see him winning MVP. And even if his MVP year happens to be better than the year he's had this year, I think that's when his peak is, is when you win MVP or you yes. know, take, take your team to the Super Bowl, if that makes sense. So based off of, of that aspect, I, I just can't say that he's peaked. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, it's very similar points that you made to, um, that I made, and I, I couldn't agree more. For sure. Next, we got interesting. Nelson Aguilar revived his career and will become a top 15 wide receiver on the Raiders this upcoming season. I'm going to start off with this one. Who I forget that, uh, you know, I wish I wrote down people's tags because I 100% would have shouted them out because these are some really good hot takes. I'm not, I could see like top 20 maybe because he did have a breakout season this year. This was, I think, for sure his best season. I think he definitely needed a change in environment. I think he was a first round pick for a reason. I just think he didn't fit well in Philly. And we obviously know how Philly drafts nowadays, you know, that's. It's just kind of their thing. They draft wide receivers that don't really fit their system. Yeah. And but but to say top 15, I mean you're putting him in tiers like oh man, when you think of top 10 receivers, I get 
I mean, who would you put in that area? Like in the 10 to 15 area? 10 to 15 area. Um, I mean, it, it really, it really depends. I think Allen Robinson is, is probably around that 10 to 15 area. Um, I would say, wow. Uh, you know, I, I really have to think about it. Right. I think Adam Thielen might be a 10 to 15, um, you know, and I'll, I'll go as far as saying for Nelson Aguilar, um, I'm not sold on him being a top 15 wide receiver. I, I think he can be pretty good um, for the Raiders, you know, because at this day and age, you can be a thousand yard receiver and not be a top 15 wide receiver. Um, sure. You know, you, there, there's so many with how many injuries there are and guys being in and out of lineups. Um, and, and for that reason, I just don't see him being a top 15 wide receiver. There have been so many guys who've had breakout years. Um, earned a nice paycheck and just never really panned out. Not saying that will happen with Aguilar, um, but I just top 15 wide receiver again. You know, I named some names that you could argue maybe closer to the top 10, the likes of um, Thielen and guys like that. And it's just very, very hard to, to see him be in that conversation. Yeah, for sure. With the talent at the wide receiver position, especially in the current NFL, like you said, you could be a you know, put up an 1,200 yard season and just barely be a fringe top 15 receiver. It's just the way it is nowadays, especially with a pass heavy league that we've kind of transitioned into. And while I do think that Nelson Aguilar, I do think that he slightly revived his career in Oakland. I think that people kind of were just fed up with him in Philly. Obviously, I think he was kind of became a meme because of how many drop passes he's had you know, he had in his time with Philly. And I think that it was definitely a boost for him in, you know, being in Oakland or not Oakland, Las Vegas now. Um, But to say top 15, I definitely can't get with that. I think maybe his max potential is somewhere between 20 to 25, but even then that could be a stretch. I think that one season can't really define whether a player's turned their career around or not. I think you need to see some consistency first because he, while he did have really good games, he also had some, you know, clunkers in there as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of different scenarios that could define whether he's revived his career or not. But I definitely think being with the Raiders has helped him, but I wouldn't necessarily say top 15, let alone top 20. I agree. All right, Jalen Hurts will not be the starter. Personally, I think he will. I think I don't now. I don't want to be you know judgmental or anything, but I'm not. I'm not really sold on Jalen Hurts. You know, he played at OU and he was great at OU. He played at Alabama, but he got a spot taken. But when he played at OU, obviously he was great. Then again, you could say he played in a division where they just don't play defense. Obviously. I know a lot of college football fans would agree with that. And I do like, especially with how some new quarterbacks are nowadays, I personally, I think there's a huge difference between a quarterback that can run and a running quarterback. Running quarterback is Lamar Jackson. A running quarterback is Jalen Hurts. A quarterback that can run is a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. I personally prefer a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Now, I think that the potential Jalen Hurts brings is very, very solid. But you, you kind of got to look at the same scenarios that Wentz went through. How's he going to fare with a bad offensive line? What are they going to do when they're not committing to the run game again? What are they going to do? Well, hopefully they commit to the run game because Nick Sirianni is their new head coach and he was a former offensive coordinator for the Colts. 
who obviously have a very good run game. But it, it's just so up in the air. But I think he will be the starter solely because of the tension that was created with Wentz and the fact that Wentz was, you know, traded. And, you know, they've made it clear that they might look into the draft to go draft a quarterback, which I think is very, very possible. But I think that they, on behalf of the Eagles organization, they would look like a bunch of fools if they did not start three hundred hertz after what they did this past season with the Carson Wentz. Yeah, that was exactly uh, how I was going to start. Is I was going to keep my answer quite brief with this one, and that is yes, I think he will be the starter, um, mainly because of the way they handled the situation last year. Now, granted, I don't think they're they were one hundred percent sold on Jalen Hurts as they brought in Nate Sudfeld to at least get reps, um, and they've also even touched on the fact that they might bring in another quarterback. I think that other quarterback um, that they're going to bring in is going to be a Marcus Mariota kind of guy, uh, a, a basically a top ten backup currently. Bring him in on a one-year deal, and just to kind of make that make like a fiery edge to Jalen Hurts, make him actually work for that starting spot rather than him coming into camp and having it wide open for him. For sure, for sure. I don't think there's a lot of discussion on this. Uh, last one. I, of all the hot takes that I have seen, this is by far one of my favorites. I love this hot take because I think it 100% could be very possible. Jonathan Taylor will be the best running back next season. Your thoughts? When they finally decided to commit to Jonathan Taylor, instead of splitting the carries, um, you know, it likes to like Hines back in the backfield. Uh, And even then, towards the tail of the season, he, he still wasn't getting all the carries. And he looked electric. He looked incredible. Um, his last few games, like last five, six games of the year, I mean, he genuinely looked like arguably the best running back in the league, right? And so this take, um, unfortunately, I do not agree with it. Um, however, I absolutely think he is going to be a top five running back next year. Um, I don't think it's really that outlandish of a take, to be honest, because now he's got a quarterback. Obviously, he had a quarterback last year, Phil Rivers, but a guy like Wentz, um, who they clearly are buying into, um, and to see that one-two punch work together, I'm very, very excited to see it. And I definitely could see Jonathan Taylor um, being top five. And, yeah, I don't think it's a crazy stretch, to be honest, of um, him being the best running back. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that he very well could be the best running back next year solely based off of his talent and how he was producing at the end of the season when he was getting the bulk of the carries. But I do think, you know, as long as there's – running backs named Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook. I always, even Saquon Barkley, if he's healthy and he's playing behind a good offensive line, it's hard to say that, you know, a guy going into his second season is going to be better than any of those guys. But I look at what he did in college, and a lot of people questioned him coming out of college because he was such a workhorse there that we didn't know if his legs were going to be tired, what what his body was like, what kind of physique he was in. And I think he proved a lot of people wrong. I think that's part of the reason why he wasn't getting a ton of carries because they did like, I think Marlon Mack got hurt in the very first game, but obviously they they did like Marlon Mack. They obviously like Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins because they were giving them a ton of touches throughout the season. And then towards the end of the season, that's when Jonathan Taylor kind of stepped in. But like I said, that could very well be one of the reasons why Jonathan Taylor wasn't getting the ball right away so many times because, just because of his past history in college football. But talking about college football, we saw like he was one of the best college running backs uh, that a lot of people have ever seen, arguably one of the better ones in college football history. 
And I don't think that's a stretch to say that. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that he very well could be the best running back next year. But like I said, like you said, I think he could definitely be top five. 100% could be top five. I'm sold on that. But I'm not entirely sold on him being the best just because of the other talents in the league. All right. So that's it for that. Now we're going to talk about the Vikings. Let's go. I know you're excited about this. Old Vikes. I'm obviously not a fan of the Vikings. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> love football. I love any team. Football amazes me. So I'm going to ask you some questions. You'll give me your thoughts. And that's pretty much it. So just starting off, how did you become a Vikings fan? I became a Vikings fan um, because my father went to the University of Minnesota um, and while he was there, he spent, even after college, he spent an additional uh, six, seven years in Minnesota. So after about 10 years, uh, round numbers in Minnesota, he really became a Vikings fan. And growing up for me, it was either the Steelers or the Vikings. And I grew up in a time um, with Super Bowl 40 with the Steelers winning that. And I always loved the underdog, um, underdog mentality kind of thing. And so for me, it was a, between the Steelers and the Vikings, it was pretty easy to go with the Vikings. Definitely. So have you been to a Vikings game before? Yeah, I've gone to, um, at this point, I want to say two, yeah, two um, preseason games and then one regular season game. Uh, unfortunately, the regular season game was back in like 2010. But the preseason game I went to was, uh, that was my most recent one, of course, was 2000, I want to say 16, right around there. It was uh, when the new stadium opened. It was actually the first official home game. And um, but in 2017, and unfortunately, it was the uh, preseason game before Teddy Bridgewater had his catastrophic knee injury. Oh, um, but, uh, nonetheless, it was an awesome sight to be in that stadium. Um, it, it's, it's beautiful there. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, what was it like? But you've pretty much answer, answered that so far. So you could tell me historically or currently, who is your favorite player on the Vikings and why? Historically, it's um, undoubtedly Adrian Peterson. Um, because for me, when I was really able to kind of focus and follow football, you know, when I was five, six years old, it was kind of hard. Um, but when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, that was kind of right when, um, Peterson was entering the league and it was a sight to behold watching him play on Sundays. Um, and I just fell in love with him. And, and similarly, my current favorite player is, um, either Donovan Cook or, uh, Justin Jefferson. Um, they're just such fun guys to watch. And they just bring a, a certain attitude about them that I, I just love watching. For sure. For sure. So based off of this season, what are your opinions on it? I think it could have been better, but I understand the circumstances and the circumstances first and foremost, of course, COVID um, COVID, you know, of course the season played out in a very, very good way in terms of not, a, not a ton of COVID issues with players. Um, but again, play the training camp prior everything that basically led up to the season wasn't the same. And so I, you know, I couldn't expect a perfect season. Um, in addition to that, they, and I'll talk about this later, is the defense uh, took so many hits, lost so many guys, and the offensive line wasn't great as per usual with the Vikings. And so with all that being said, um, obviously it could have been better, but I understand the circumstances. Yeah, and understanding the circumstances. So do you think that it went better or worse than you thought prior to the start of the season? It went worse. I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day, you're looking at a, a Vikings team who should be in the playoffs. I mean, they're, 
there's a reason they brought in Kirk Cousins, right? Um, they were in the NFC Championship with a Case Keenum-led team. Sure, the defense was the main uh, piece of that team, but they brought in a new quarterback in Kirk Cousins with the expectations like, hey, you're going to bring us to the playoffs. You're going to bring us to the promised land. You know, we were a game away from playing a home Super Bowl, and we're getting an upgraded quarterback. So undoubtedly, year in, year out, the expectation has to be uh, making the playoffs. So for me, it was uh, definitely a poor season. Um, in terms of takeaways from the seasons, just overall thoughts, do you have any positive or negative takeaways? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the positive has to be the young core and the young core that, that's on the, um, the, in the secondary. The likes of Jeff, uh, Jeff Gladney and Cam Dantzler, um, they looked in the beginning of the year, of course, shaky, as you would expect a rookie corner to be, um, barring an elite level guy, right? But the young core that um, just continued to grow throughout the year is going to get better. Obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, you have the flashy Justin Jefferson, seeing him and just constantly improve throughout the year and already become a top level route runner was amazing. Um, again, I think the defense getting healthy, the defense was battered. Uh, especially the defensive line with Michael Pierce, um, I believe, opting out, and then Daniel Hunter having neck surgery, not to mention at the linebacking core, Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr, both missed games. Um, so just seeing them get healthy. And, and finally, another takeaway was that the offense looked really good. Um, sure, Kirk Cousins, I think he receives too much hate, um, but his numbers were very, very good this year. The run game was awesome. Um, and the pass game, like I said, with Kirk Cousins was, was good. So those are some of the positive takeaways. For sure. And any negative takeaways or not really? Yeah. I mean, again, we, we fell short of expectations, right? You have the expectation year in, year out, you want to get to the playoffs, as most teams do. But when you're in a position like the Vikings, um, who are really, when you bring in a guy like Kirk Cousins, you're looking to make that next step forward. Um, so falling short of those expectations is obviously not ideal. Um, and I also think the salary cap situation is not great. Uh, obviously, you're familiar with salary cap problems, unfortunately, but um, the Viking situation is not great. The defense went healthy. Um, you know, the defense this year obviously wasn't great, but again, they were banged up. And then probably the most important one is, is the kicking issues. I mean, Dan Bailey was tailing of the season was horrendous. I mean, just seeing videos all over social media about how poor he was just really was the icing on the cake for the season. So, I mean, you've kind of already touched on this with positive takeaways, but, and, and negative takeaways as well. But would you say there's any true strengths or weak aspects that the Vikings currently have? Yeah, I think their strength has to be their offense in, in the sense that I think that they are one piece away from being an elite level offense because they have a quarterback who, um, in my eyes, is a top 15 guy. They have a running back who, in my eyes, is top five. They have two, uh, two wide receivers who, I mean, they have, Adam Thielen, obviously one of the best, uh, has one of the best hands in the league. And then Justin Jefferson, as I just touched base on previously, is an incredible route runner. Um, not to mention the tight end, which I will touch on um, in a little bit. The combination of Rudolph and Irv Smith, I think, is a, is a, is a nice duo. Um, but finally, one more piece on that offensive line to kind of shore up that offensive line. And I think their offense is elite. And similarly, the defensive side of the ball, they were banged up all year. They were young on the defensive side of the ball. To me, um, when healthy, when their young guys come into their second year and grow a little bit, um, they're definitely a top top 10, maybe not top 10, but definitely top 15 defense. For sure, for sure. So moving forward, because now we're in the offseason, uh, what would you like to see them do in terms of 
maybe particular free agents that you might want to see them sign, players that need to be cut or traded, the draft. Elaborate if you can. Yeah, so going off the offseason plan, I think number one is you, you want to re-sign some of your key guys. And I think they're going to have to decide between Anthony Harris and Eric Wilson. And we obviously talked about Anthony Harris with the free agent frenzy, um, that he very well, if he hits the open market, will field offers and very well could leave um, Minnesota. If that's the case, I think they bring back Eric Wilson. Similarly, maybe they really they, they dish out a contract that Anthony Harris loves. He comes back. Most likely that means Eric Wilson goes. Um, I think they would be more inclined to sign Harris than Wilson because the Vikings have a tendency to draft um, linebackers in the middle rounds and hope that they can develop while at safety. They're going to lose George Ioka in free agency, so they really don't have a lot of depth. But I also think they're going to re-sign on the D-line um, a Fede Oda, Oda Nikbo. I, I always botch his name, but he's a defensive end who the defensive line wasn't great this year. Um, one of the piss poor ones in Vikings history, to be honest. But there are some guys on that D-line that they want to keep, and a Fede is 100% um, going to be one. So in addition to the, the defensive side of the ball, on the offensive side, I think they have to bring in a new, a new third wide receiver um, because they lost. They're gonna. They, were, they lost um, Charles Johnson a few years back, and they have BC Johnson and they have um, Chad Beebe, all guys who aren't going to be under contract coming up, and so they're going to have to look at um, a replacement for that wide receiver. And I had a couple guys that I jotted down that they could look at, um, the likes of Danny Amendola, Josh Reynolds, and David Moore from the Seahawks, all guys who. Um, at least Amendola is obviously a little older, but they're all guys who would settle for probably wide receiver three money. I mean, that's kind of the situation that they're all in on their respective teams. Well, obviously they're in the open market, but on their teams currently. Um, so I definitely could see them bringing in one of those guys. Now, in terms of releases, uh, some of the guys they're going to have to free up. And the biggest one for me is Riley Reef. He's on a contract where he's getting close to 10 mil a year. Um, and he's just not getting the job done on an offensive line that is just very, very weak. And so I immediately think you're going to – they cut him just to save a ton of money and possibly bring in the likes of Anthony Harris, maybe even go for Eric Wilson. I'm not too sure. In addition, though, um, I think two big cuts they're going to have to make. I really hope they cut Dan Bailey um, after this, this season. He was obviously great for the Cowboys but has not panned out well for the Vikings. And then Kyle Rudolph. This is a really, really tough one for me. But I, I, I just think it's time for Kyle Rudolph. He um, expressed his, like, want to get more targets, want to be more included in the offense, and he simply wasn't. Irv Smith Jr. is looking like a very, very solid tight end. Now he's going to be coming into his third season uh, this, this next year, and I think he absolutely will take over um, and free up about six mil of cap with uh, Rudolph. For sure, for sure. And what what maybe position in particular now you've touched on, you know, maybe, maybe uh, middle of the pack uh, linebacker somewhere in the middle of the draft, potentially even a wide receiver three in the middle of the draft, but how would you want to see the Vikings draft? Well, like you said, I already touched on a little bit in terms of draft needs. Um, I think they need safety or linebacker depth um, barring whichever one they do not sign Eric, Eric, Eric Wilson or Anthony Harris. Um, but that's something you can get in the middle rounds maybe. I think they definitely need to address the offensive line as usual and the defensive line, because even though they're getting the likes of Daniel Hunter and Michael Pierce back, like I said, they, they had a historically poor D line this year. And finally, um, mainly what I touched on in terms of free agents is a third wide receiver. Um, 
the Vikings do not have a lot of money to play with in the uh, in the free agent market, unfortunately. And so a third wide receiver, although it may not cost a lot, they may look to the draft for that. But in terms of the actual draft, I have two guys that I'm really, really um, hoping that they grab. Uh, the first one is Gregory Rochelle. I'm maybe watching yeah. his name, but he's the defensive end for Miami. A guy who gets to the quarterback, a guy who gets in the backfield. He opted out this past season, but when he played a year ago, he was a second-team All-American guy. Um, and for a defensive line that clearly struggled, and again, I keep saying that they're going to get guys healthy, but just adding another piece to that, if they don't sign um, Afedi Odenigbo, um, it could work out very well. And then the other guy I have them picking, if Gregory's not there, or if they look elsewhere, is Christian Darshaw, the offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. Um, and this simply would be maybe best available kind of look at it because I think he's one of the most talented tackles uh, right up behind um, Suell, who's obviously going to go top five. Um, and, and if they release Riley Reef, they're going to need a guy that can replace him. And I see Darshaw being that guy as he plays right tackle. So it seems you got you got a lot of things down that you want to see happen. Uh, definitely could happen. Definitely very possible. Just uh, some cap space management might need to be done obviously with cuts and trades and all that good stuff. Uh, I do think that the Vikings, you know, they've, they made not this past season, but prior they've been making the playoffs. And I think that this season because of COVID and injuries and just a lot of different things, a culmination of different things led them to not making the postseason. But I think that if, you know, some of the things you said come true and the Vikings do well in the off season, they could do well next season. So for my question for you, is what if things do go well, if things go average, if things go bad, no matter what, what do you think is a reasonable prediction for them? I think a reasonable prediction for them is 10 and 6. And I, I, I look at this as in finishing 10 and 6, you're finishing second in the division um, behind the Packers, who I think will go 12 and 4, 11 and 5, right around there, probably 12 and 4. I look at the Lions taking even more of a setback. Um, they're just about as big of a setback as they took this year. I think the Bears might take will, will, will take a step back, and I think this aligns well with the Vikings probably grabbing that first, maybe second wild card position, and um, you know hopefully hopefully making a run out of it. I mean we saw a team in um, Tampa Bay, obviously they're led by Tom Brady, but they played every single game on the road, and um, obviously they end up winning the Super Bowl, right? So for me, I say a, a realistic everything goes well in terms of they address the needs that they, that they have. They re-sign at least some of their key guys. They bring in some guys through the draft and free agency, like I said, that fill those needs. Um, I absolutely think that 10 and six is a realistic prediction for them. I definitely could agree with that. Things go well. I still see them as a playoff team. Like you said, there were injuries, COVID again, I'll restate it. Culmination of different things that just kept Mm -hmm. them from getting into the playoffs. They have a great offense. I do agree with you when you say that Kirk Cousins is so overhated because I, you know, he might not perform great in prime time, but otherwise, I think his stats are so underlooked. He had a great season this past season. He's got the tools that he need needs. I think that a good all, you know, an additional piece on the offensive line by cutting Reef, adding someone else would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, given that protection, he's got the assets that he needs. He's got a great run game. 
think a wide receiver three definitely could help Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are both top 15, if not top 10 receivers and, you know, which is very arguable in the entire NFL. I definitely could see 10 and six is a very reasonable prediction for them. All right. That's going to conclude the rest of this episode. Chris, thank you for hopping on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I love being on. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, Hopefully I'll have you on sometime next year. Uh, but that's going to be the end of the episode. I hope everyone enjoyed. And I just have one last question. Are you down to football? Of course. I don't. You always got to be down for football. Why not? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs>